Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. If you're not white, then I don't like you. It's scary, scary people who, who are willing to put the tattoos on their body that supports their belief. Once our eyes were open to it, it's, it's around us. They're looking for an inclusion, for family, for community, and if they can find that weakness in our children, they prey on them. You are listening to Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. It is me, Daisy. Welcome. This is a podcast all about extraordinary people and extraordinary stories. Here we will shine the spotlight on their journeys and hopefully learn something about ourselves and the way that we live our lives from their experiences too. Join me as we get to know our guest. Matson and Tawny Browning have worked undercover for the past 20 years, infiltrating some of the biggest white supremacy groups in America. They have been up close and personal with some of the world's most dangerous and depraved individuals and have witnessed the most heinous acts imaginable. In their new memoir, The Hate Next Door, they detail their experience of living a double life for two decades as husband and wife. And join us on this episode of Proverbs to dig under the surface further. I wonder if you could both start out by really giving us an intro into the world that you infiltrated. The world that, that was infiltrated, basically, I mean, it's a world of hate. It's a world of, I don't like you because of this or that. Mm-hmm. This world of no communication. It's a world of, of misunderstanding and miscommunication. But in, most importantly, it's a world of violence, hatred and murder and it's one of those things that when you get into it, you don't realize what you're getting into until, until you step out and it's over with. And what were some of the beliefs of the members that were within these groups? What were some of the beliefs and the ideologies that you heard or your, you experienced? Well, that's that's a simple. If you're not white, then I don't like you. Um, if you're an immigrant, I don't like you. This country is built for white people by white people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's my God is not your God. Um, it's, it's a world of where we're at in Arizona, we're close to the, the Mexico, Arizona border, which means the anti-immigration rhetoric and the anti, you know, Mexican rhetoric is huge. But as you move farther east to the East coast is anti-Jew, anti-Islamic, anti-Muslim, 
um, anti-everything. And, you know, it was very shocking to me when Matt first started this because we are so close to the Mexican-American border. You know, I went to grade school, elementary school, um, high school with the same kids that were Mexican-American and um, mm-hmm. we were friends. I didn't know that there was such a prejudice against people of color. Mm-hmm. And how do you go about infiltrating this? How do you go about joining one of these groups undercover? Well, that was a crazy thing because we're, we're t- it's, it was a different world then than it is now. It's, it's yeah. everything now is online. You can be a member of whatever you want online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we laughed about I became a member of the new Black Panther Party online. I couldn't go to any of the meetings, but I could be a member and get information. But when I infiltrated, I had to go meet in person. And I went and sat and had lunch and dinner with these guys and oh. and really got to understand the ideology and where they're at. Wow. And then did you feel, Matt, like you had to adopt certain characteristics to not blow your cover? Were there certain things that you felt you had to say or do to sort of stay under wraps as well? Oh, that 100 percent. You had to, you had to form a, a backstory. You had to form your own ideology. You had to form with everything that I formed was against what I believe. So mm-hmm. if easiest way for me to do it is if I did not. If I felt one way as as Matt Browning, then I acted the exact opposite as my undercover person. And so you start developing stories that are all geared towards anti, you know, Jewish, anti-Mexican, anti-whatever it is, just to get these people to bite on it. You start learning the the key words and the ideologies of every group. And once you do that, then you're you're pretty much locked in. I've done some undercover bits here in the UK. I'm just sort of starting off on, on that route, I guess, in my career. I, I make documentaries in the UK. And I've gone into some dark worlds, especially this year, but nothing is as dark as you've entered into undercover. And I cannot imagine how terrifying that must have been because you're dealing with some serious, dangerous people. Yeah, you're dealing with murders. You're dealing with... Just, you know, it's scary, scary people who who are willing to put the tattoos on their body that supports their beliefs. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty that's pretty hardcore when you when you tattoo your face and your neck and your your body with what you believe in. And yeah, it, it got kind of crazy for a while. Tony, what compelled you to get involved, too? I'm intrigued to know. We have we have five children and um when it started to come home, we had a lamb, we had a 4-H lamb, which is a um, an agricultural project for my children. And when we found that lamb dead on the doorstep, I knew I had to get involved. I needed to get into the hearts and minds of these individuals to see what kind of danger was coming home. And how are these groups changing? I know we've touched on the social media element, and this is something I've seen massively. I mean, not necessarily over the past 20 years, as much as you guys have, have obviously experienced the way that this sort of trend has has changed. But how are they changing? What what does white supremacy or these extremist hate groups look like in 2023? Well, you know, it's crazy. We talk a lot about this in the book, in our in our book, The Hate Next Door. And we talk a lot about especially what happened in the UK. We, Tony and I were in the UK for a while. And we were we were doing stuff there. We shut down one of the largest you know organizations in the world that had a huge chapter in England. And so, mm-hmm. you know, getting to understand that hate from them has transformed. It's the same hate. All this, it just looks different. It's not the boots and braces and the punk scene that it once was. Now it's khakis and camels and guys that go to colleges and try to recruit yeah. out of colleges. It's 
is your neighbor. That's why the book's called The Hate Next Door. It could be your neighbor. It could be anybody. And it is not until we understand and talk to somebody that we can really understand, you know, what they represent and what they believe. And since we have children, you know, they ended up being eyes and ears as well. And um, we found that hate next door so many, so often in ways that we never, ever expected. It was like once our eyes were open to it, it's it's around us. I feel like we just like to distance ourselves from the subject as well. I think we don't understand necessarily how vulnerable and impressionable we are as well, especially with the stuff that we consume now on social media and that being such a tool for recruitment. I know I spoke to a woman that fled the UK a few years ago um, to join ISIS. We spoke to her on this podcast a couple of months ago. She was one of the first people we spoke to on the new season of this. And it was wild to hear her story and to hear, I guess, how she was really preyed on in a, in a vulnerable time in her life and how she was recruited online. And she, you know, I guess, willingly went over to Syria and took her son as well. What are, are there other are things that I guess recruiters or certain members look out for in the recruitment process? What do they prey on? Well, you know, they, well, first of all, you know, you, you have to be able to give something to the organization. So if you're, if you're a computer guy, then an organization wants you for your computer skills. If you're a good speaker, they want you for their speaking, for their PR. You know, if you're a big guy, they want you to be able to go and beat the living tar out of people. You have, they recruit you because of who you are. You have to be, they, they prey on, on, of course, we're talking about white supremacy in the, in, in the far extremes. They prey on the people that they want in. So if, if you're a white boy and they want you in a white boy organization, then, then you got one check in your box already. They, they prey on the weaker ones, guys who've been beat up, guys who've been picked on, guys who've been bullied, that have anger inside them that they just don't know where to project it. And then when you feed that anger with more anger and more anger, but now you're directing that anger towards a race, towards a, a religion, um, towards an orient, orientation or whatever else it is. Now you Now you have purpose in life again. And because you've been recruited into this group that's giving you purpose, now you're loyal to that group. Mm-hmm. And what really made me so frightened is that they were preying on our young women and um, they would find women that were in need of, you know, broken homes. And sometimes they were in strong homes, you know, like with parents that were professionals, but just not having the attention or things that they needed. And they would prey on those young women, too. For And it was frightening. That's yeah. where I wanted to really, that's where I got so, I'm like, we've got to do something, Matt. And it's important to realize that. They're not, like Tani just said, it's not just broken homes. I've talked to, to haters and racists and skinheads who whose parents are lawyers and doctors and brain surgeons and, yes. and all different kinds of, of home backgrounds. It's it's not specific to your broken homes or your, your, your kids that are abandoned on the street. It's open to anybody. They're looking for an inclusion, for family, for community. And if they can find that weakness in our children, they prey on them. How is a woman's experience different in this group compared to a man's experience as a member? How blunt you want me to be. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you can be as blunt as you want, Matt. There, there's a difference between a male and a female's role inside the organization. All the groups I was part of, if you're a girl in an organization, you probably dated everybody in that crew. You're, you're, you're passed around just like, just like wow. anybody else. But you're also sent in the places we talk about. It, there's a murder in, in Phoenix. It's a Cole Bailey Jr. murder. We, we wrote about it in the book. And that murder actually started because the females got upset because another female in a pool hall was trying to pick up on one of the skinheads. 
they got upset with this nobody girl and started a fight. Well, that amped up the skins. Now they wanted to fight. And next thing you know, they ended up killing Paul Bailey Jr. A white guy. A white guy. And and so girls are there for motivation. They're there to, to bring in drugs, to bring in weapons, to hold the drugs and weapons. And they're also there just to... You got to go back to the original ideology. They're there to bring in white children into this world. Yeah. But tell me, you know, we, we all need a soft place. Even even warriors need a soft place to lay their head. It just. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine that the attitudes towards r- women are so horrific, too. And I can't imagine really what you must have experienced as a woman having to be around these sorts of people. It, it just must. It just must have been absent. You, you think, you know about this subject and, I, and I'm sure Matt when you an, initially entered into it I'm sure you you felt you knew a certain amount but going into it you just you just blew the lid I, I guess there's always more to learn there's there's always different places where your mind can just be blown oh it, it's ridiculous and, but one thing that's really important is that I could go in as an undercover and I took my information and I put a lot of people in jail and prison for, yeah. for, for various crimes from you know aggravated assault all up into murder but when Tani would go into these clubs, they would flock to her and tell her things that I couldn't get from these guys. Mm. And so it was the information that we were able to put together that eventually Tani can get better, better information than the guys than I can. And, you know, there's a softness that comes from, you know, that's why I was able and, and a feeling of they'd let their guard down because I wasn't threatening. However, um, it was hard on Matt to watch me get that information because he knew, he knew what kind of guy for. Yeah, of course. Continuing the conversation on Proverbs after this short break. Is there an initiation process when you first join or when you're a new member? Is there a, do you feel like you need to prove something? Yeah, it depends on the organization. Some, some organizations, these big organizations, they require dues or, or that, and you pay your dues and you're good. But then there's your, your street skin crews that, yeah, you have to earn your different color laces. You have to earn your laces by proving something. And so a lot of times a something would be assaulting a minority or, or going on hunting trips where they all pile into a car and they drive around neighborhoods and they look for minorities to jump out and they'll beat them for no, no purpose. And they draw the blood of that person. And then they earn their red laces. Um, yeah, you, there's always the initiation process and they're always trying to prove themselves. And there's always the competition within the organization to be better than the, the other person. Well, you talk about that in the book. Mm-hmm. You talk about some, you know, sometimes they were having to go on hunting trips to earn their laces, you know, to, to spill the blood for the right white race and and to kind of put themselves in the group make their, their, their spot in the group. And some people made you write book reports. You know, you have to prove your genealogy because if you, if you prove your genealogy that you are pure white, all is well. But anywhere in your genealogy, if you have Jewish blood or black blood in your, in your body, then you're out. Mm-hmm. I, I, again, I, I just feel like we, over here in the UK, I've just seen these attitudes of, even us trying to distance ourselves and, and saying like, this is more of an American problem. I know you said you both spent time in the UK. This is happening and this is an issue in the UK as well, right? Oh, please. UK is the motherland of it all. Yes. You go back in time and it's the history of the ska scene and, yeah. and everything else. Music was huge. 
And, and, the, and the influx of immigrants and, and everything else. And as I got into it, I was able to get so many pictures. And, and to the UK's credit, when we showed law enforcement, they, we said, they said, we don't have a problem. And we said, I think you do. And we showed them the pictures and they were all over it. I got to say, Scotland Yard is one of the premier best law enforcement agencies out there because we've mm -hmm. worked with them and they took the information and they they helped shut down Volksfront. They helped shut down different other organizations and they're on it. Great guys. They took it seriously. And I can tell you other countries didn't. They told us it was an American problem. They did not want to hear what we had to say. And the UK, they were all over it. Yeah. How do you guys switch off? Because I can imagine you're, you're playing this double life and you're dealing with some of the worst of the worst in the world. You're seeing and you're hearing the most horrific things. And then you're having to come home to a family. And, you know, to, to your day-to-day, -day, every everyday normal life, how, how do you switch off? How do you decompress? I think for me, it was easier because Matt's our protector and um, yeah. in this home. And so I think it was easier. And, and I have that role as a mother. Um, so everything that I was doing was for that, for, was for our family and for our community. And so that was easier for me to, I think, decompress. Yeah. And, and, and Daisy, I'll tell you. Tell you and your listeners, if you read the book, the book just isn't about the hate next door. It's about everything that revolves around that hate. And so I would come home and I would still I would still be have the hate ideology in my head. I would still yeah. have all the different polls and everything else. And if it wasn't for Tani and the kids, then I would have stayed in that place, you know, but because Tani made it to where my home was a safe place and until I, I was able to decompress, leave everything in my truck and come in the home. Um, because the only thing that conquers hate is love. You got to have love. And Tani was able to provide that in the home. Unfortunately, again, in the book, we mentioned this all over the place. I've been followed home by skinheads. We've had people show up at the house wanting to assault and kill me. We've had all kinds of things happen. However, this still was my safe place. Yeah. yeah. And it was a little hard for the children to read the book because they, they were like, I can't believe this was happening in our home. But um, it was. And, and, and like Matt said, you know, that's that love that's the antidote to hate. And I tried to create that in our home as much as possible. We weren't always, we weren't always successful at it. Mm. We had, you know, there, we went through a lot and that's all chronicled in the book. But um, yeah, we, we sure tried. Yeah, we, we started, and Tony expresses this better than I do, but we started writing the book when, when I got out of law enforcement as more of a therapeutic thing. You know, get, get all the garbage out of my head, get it down on paper, and then it just morphed into the hate next door. And, and so it really chronicles everything. The first skinhead I ever met, he tried to kill me. And from then on, it just it just morphed into what it is now, and it go we go into the mental health of law enforcement, we go into the military, we go into government and the politics of it all, and and it's a great read, it's an interesting read, and I think that as people read it, um, hopefully that we can change the way the world is going because hate is worldwide. It's just not in the United States. It's just not in the UK or Australia or anywhere else, but it's everywhere. It is everywhere. Like it, my, I, there's a story in the book. I keep, we keep going back to the book, but there's a story in the book where my sister was dating a skinhead and didn't know it, you know, and it was Matt who kind of 
shown the light on that. So, so much of the reason that I agreed to the book is that I wanted people's eyes to be open. I want our children to be safe. And at the end of the book, we put some suggestions if your loved one is in, involved in mm-hmm. some of these groups, what you mm-hmm. can do. I was going to say, with just talking about this sort of new wave that we're experiencing now with, I guess, social media taking over and that being a huge place for people to be able to recruit and and become radicalized online. Are there signs to look out for that you yourself are being pulled into this kind of content or into this group or signs that someone else may be? I think the best, the best way that I can say it is you got to look at the temperament of the person. If there's, if they're consuming all their time looking into the, you know, whether it's the stop the steal that was going on here in the States, or if it's the far extremes and, and everything is the, you know, the Mexicans are causing this, and the Muslims are causing this. That's the person that you want to look at. And that's the person you want to just, you know, go be their friend, make sure that they understand that, you know, that's not, that's not really how it is. And I think that's the biggest message that we can say is you got to communicate with people. When you see the tattoos, when you see the, the stickers or the bumper stickers or the patches or, or whatever it is, we're missing communication. Mm-hmm. And I've learned through my experience working undercover that nobody goes and talks to the person they hate. They've learned to hate that person because of everything they've been told. Let's open the let's open all lines of communication and get it out because I'll tell you what, there's some good, good people out there that aren't white. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's like let's just let's just have that communication and let's let's have a conversation and we'll we'll find that common ground. I know it. Mm-hmm. And if you see people being pulled into that, this was so important. I saw Matt would come home and talk about some of these um, kids that were involved in in the hate. And I'm like, why isn't someone throwing that kid a lacrosse stick or a paintbrush or a football? you know, and give them some place of belonging besides in a hate-filled world. Absolutely. I, I love your outlook on life. Honestly, this, this, the fact that you've seen such horrific things and you've been around such horrific people and experiences and this idea of fighting hate with love and, and, you know, communication opening up opportunity and, and changing, changing people's perspectives and minds is so true. And it's, it's so what, I try to live by and it's important to to start that communication and and in order to try and push back against this because I can imagine being in this is so consuming and also really isolating as well and sometimes you do need that person to actually push you on why you're feeling or thinking or preaching something in order for I, you I to think, realize there is something wrong. I think you just nailed it. I do too. I think mm. that you have to have somebody that pushes you and tells you what you're doing isn't right. There's plenty of times in my career that Tani has come to me and said, Matt, you got to chill out. Yeah. Or, or Matt, you, you got to go outside, take a breath, mow the lawn, go to the gym, do something, but you got to get this feelings and ideologies out of you because it's really disturbing or it's, it's wrong. And, and you have to surround yourself by good people. The problem with hate is that once you start in it, you're constantly consuming it through the people around you. You mm-hmm. got to get out of that. You have to have good things. And and I just think it's, I don't know what parliament's like. I've never watched parliament. But I tell you what, if you watch American politics, it is mm-hmm. nothing but people yelling at each other. Nobody cares what the other person has to say as long as their agenda is met. Mm-hmm. That is one of the problems we're having with hate. 
is that that example is going to the schools. That example is going to the churches and the synagogues, and nobody is talking. Everybody's just yelling, my way is the right way, your way is. And we need to stop that. Yeah. And I often find as well, because I I mean, I I speak to some people day to day just in my work with very strong views that are very different from my own. And when you initially start to question them and you start to push back at the end of that conversation, they usually run out of things to say anyway, and they talk themselves into a corner. And you might not feel as though you've even won them over. And in that first conversation, you're probably not going to, but you have probably planted a seed in their mind that will grow when they're sitting at home. And, and it, they do more often than not will start to question things. And as you keep chipping away and chipping away, you, you don't understand the power that you have to pull someone out of that situation and actually change and reverse their opinion as well. Um, so as I said, you, you just saying communication is a powerful thing. I can I can stand by that too for sure. Oh yeah, it's it's amazing. I'll tell you, just a really quick story. Our son he plays American football. We have two boys that play American football, and um, they just won the state championship for their high school. And the reason why they won it is because their coach made their team, which is full of every nationality and race there is. Mm-hmm. He made their team come together and talk to each other. They built a bond. They built a love. They built the things that make a, a team a team. And they and they won state. They won the title. And, and all because the coach made these kids talk to each other. And tell, yeah. tell be vulnerable and tell them about their hardships and what it's like growing up in in a gang, you know, in a gang neighborhood or what it's like, you know, having parents at work all the time. It just, it was incredible. If they can, mm-hmm. if a team can do that, if a football team can do it, I think nations can do this. And yeah. it sounds so trite and easy, but I tell my kids this from the day they're born, kindness begins with me. Mm-hmm. And it, it really does. Just going back to something we we previously mentioned about you know, how how these members prey on people that are vulnerable and they almost build this sense of community and family. This sense of community and family does not come from you sharing the same hateful views. These people, I'm sure these members, and I'm sure you two have seen, they don't give a shit about each other. All they care about is you are feeling the same way as they do. And when you don't, they will throw you out and and do do the most horrific things to you just as they are doing to the people that they are preaching hate on too. Really family and community comes from sharing hardships and love and support. And that is really where you're going to find your people, not, not through spreading hate and, and like-minded ideologies at all. Um, so twisted. It's just, it's just so insane. So twisted and Daisy, <laughs> so I can't believe how much you get it because it's it's so about what they do to some of their own. In the book, we talk about what they did when they decided they didn't like you, their family members. Yeah. You know, they ended up murdering each other. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not family. How are these sites able to operate online and grow such a following? This is what I can't understand why there there seems to be no regulation or not enough regulation or anyone really doing anything about this. Well, I, I'll tell you, there's a lot of people doing things. Um, a okay. lot of there's, there's a lot of things behind the scenes. The problem, okay. the, problem with, the problem with it all is that just what you said is we don't know about it. Um, okay. If we know about it, then we know where to go so we can help. I think I think what we need to do as a community, as a family, as, a, as schools, as whatever, is we need to band together and say, this isn't going to happen here. And so mm-hmm. it starts with the communication. It starts with, with understanding each other. 
But then once you find out about what's going on with the different sites, because I mean, I'm not going to sit here and rattle off sites that everybody's going to, because I honestly don't want people to know. Yeah. But the reason why they do it is because it's secretive. And if it's in, done in the secret, then they can grow and, and they don't need to be embarrassed because they're, you know, 14 years old and they hate somebody because their uncle taught them how to hate. And now they're searching online and, and bringing more hate into their lives. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot going on. People are doing things. We have, um, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of everything, but it works both ways. Yeah. You know, I'm free to practice what I want religiously, but you're also free to tell me that I'm wrong with what mm -hmm. I practice religiously. But there's a better way. The problem with it is you don't promote the violence because you don't like my religion. Because as soon as you do that is when you cross that line. I love what Matt says. I love this. He said this from, you know, what as a young as a young lion fighting hate, he would say, you know what, Tawny, these kids are born to hate. Mm -hmm. They're taught it somewhere and too often it's in the home so mm -hmm. it's that's really where we begin it's right at the foundation i mean hate's been around since the beginning of time yeah and that's the problem hate's never going to go away what can go away is how we how we deal with it how mm -hmm. we treat it how we can understand it and in order it's like when i started my undercover career in the hate i started it for two reasons. One, the first skinhead, the first skinhead I ever met tried to kill me, pulled a gun on me. We fought over the gun. Um, the second time is because I was tired of sitting in a van while all my my partners on my squad went in and worked the Tejano bars, and the Mexican bars. And I had to stay because I'm not Mexican. I couldn't go in. So I had no idea what there was, but I started immersing myself in it and learning the ideologies. You have to know the ideology of the organizations and groups so you can understand how to combat it, how to fight it, and how to have the uh, conversations with them. I think it's about us realizing also just as a society and like worldwide, I guess, as a society, not just America, not just the UK, because this is happening everywhere. It's understanding our responsibility as well, because not only is it us at, at risk, it's also your kids, it's your it's your neighbors, it's the people you're going to work with, to school with, just everyone in society is at risk of this. And so therefore we all have a responsibility to at least have an understanding of these practices and how people get pulled in and what is wrong and how to spot if someone is being dragged into something, how to get them out. So it's 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 just us all putting in the effort to fight this as a collective as well. And and Daisy, that's why we wrote the book. Because we mm -hmm. we could we could talk to our communities, you know, a little bit, but we figured we'd have a much stronger reach, a larger reach, by putting ourselves out there and and yeah. telling them what we knew. But yeah. I'm gonna let me flip the table here real quick, you know, and let me let me turn the table on you here for a second, Daisy. Mm -hmm. Look at look at the reach you have. Mm -hmm. You have a podcast. You have mm -hmm. you have all your listeners. If you can just reach four, five, six of these listeners, yeah, and then is this a success? Yeah. And that's yeah. what we're trying to do. We wrote the book. I have no idea how many copies it sells. I hope it sells. I hope they have to keep printing them for years and years and years because we're trying to reach people and say, this has to stop. We mm -hmm. need to come together and fix the problem. And that's mm -hmm. why we threw in the military and we threw in the politics. We put in how to identify. We put in all the different solutions there are to it. And it's, it just needs to change. We need, mm -hmm. we all have a role we can play 
And I think you're playing your role. I do too. And I, and I find that when Matt goes and talks or when we go talk to like high schools, um, the kids are really receptive. They know what we're telling them is true. It, yeah. We all have reach and we all have something we can all do. Mm-hmm. I love that in this book, you, you've mentioned that you did almost, you did also, I guess, write about your personal experiences and your, your personal journeys as well, not just the intel that you gathered. It's, it's not, I guess, just an educational piece. It's also just your personal journey of being so close to this subject. Did you find that writing this book after 20 years of sort of working in this field was almost a sense of therapy? Did it? Did you feel closer to each other and, and closer to yourself? Was it a cathartic experience for you? I can imagine writing a memoir on something like this would, would be that way. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out the best way to answer that. <laughs> because I, I tell you, trauma is real. Yeah. Um, traumas that people go through are real. Yeah. And fortunately, in my career, um, I had one of my supervisors told me, he said that I, I didn't just walk through my career, I sprinted through my career. And so I took everything on 100%, 120%, and I did the best that I could. And unfortunately, law, it, it, police officers aren't robots. We feel... And we have we have feelings, and just like everybody else, we try to push the feelings down that we don't want to feel. And I found that that in my career, and we talked about in the book. I mean, it got dark. It really got dark sometimes. And and I can honestly tell you right here and right now that if it wasn't for Tanya and my kids, I wouldn't be here because that is the real part of law enforcement is that we all need help and we all need support. And Tanya and my kids were the ones that gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And to answer your question, it started therapeutic to writing the book. The whole book was therapeutic for me, but I tell you what, it should have been out a year ago, but I couldn't, I just couldn't sit down and write any. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't just him. I mean, it, some of that, what he's talking about, those really dark times, um, I wasn't sure I wanted to write about him. I don't think yeah. everything's for everybody, but, um, you know, the more I thought about it, I just don't want anyone to feel alone. I don't want these families that are going through the same kind of thing to feel that they're alone because they're not. And we're all, we really are all in this together. So we wrote about it. And I want to say, go hug a cop today, but I don't want to because they'll push you away. But, I want to, <laughs> but what I do want to say is, you know, respect the guys that are out there protecting you and understand that they're going through crap also. We know that hate crimes are on the rise. Do you expect this trend to continue in the near future? Um, uh, well, I know here in the States it will because we have an election coming up. Yeah. And so it will grow. Um, the UK, you're always, I mean, you have Britain First and all these other organizations yeah. that are, are promoting it and preaching it. So it will always be there. They, they'll always find something to grasp onto in, in mainstream politics to promote their agendas. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, yeah, I think it, I think it is going to grow. Unless mm-hmm. we can get everybody together and say, guys, shut up. And this mm-hmm. isn't something we tolerate. And and then it'll go underground. I mean, tell them what you... I yeah, mean, hate's, hate's like a roller coaster. You know, you have your ups, then you, you reach that peak, and then you go shooting down as fast as you can. But then it creeps up, creeps up, creeps up, and then you get to the top of another peak, and it shoots back down. And that's the world of hate. It's a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. 
Where can we pick up a copy of this book, The Hate Next Door? Because I am just, I need to get my hands on this. This is my, on the top of my reading list for this summer. Daisy, I hope so, because I think it, I think it'll help. I, I think it's enlightening and I think it's an important book. And I think it's an opportunity for us to really start talking and get the conversations going. Yeah. So you can, you can go to your bookstores, go online, you know, Amazon or Walmart or wherever else books are sold and just order one. And if you want to know more about what we're doing, because we are, we have a law enforcement um, organization that we run, the Supremacist Intelligence Unit um, network. network, sorry, the Supremacist Intelligent Network, you can find us at mattandtawny.com, which is M-A-T-T-N-T-A-W-N-I.com. You two are so incredible. It has been so amazing to chat to you today. As I said, I, I'm, I'm equipped with a little bit of knowledge about this sort of world, but again, like you said, once you get talking about it, you realize how much you don't know. And I think it's also just been so beautiful to see the ways in which you have such a wonderful working relationship, but you are also each other's rocks as well. And, and it's just so, it's so wonderful to see. You're so resilient and you are fighting such an important, it's a battle, but together we can absolutely get there. And Please, anyone listening in, I'm getting myself a copy of this book. Please, if you wanna, if you wanna hear more, if you wanna learn more, which I think, as I said, we will have a responsibility to do so, please pick up a copy of the book. We'll definitely link it in the description of this week's episode. Just to reiterate again, thank you so much, you two. It's been an amazing episode and really, really enlightening as well. Thank you. Daisy, thank you so much. We really are all in this together. So thank you for your work as well. And that concludes this episode of Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. That is me. I hope you enjoyed it. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes and I will see you soon.